Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're on Team Human, where we challenge the operating systems driving our society, reveal the embedded codes, and share strategies for sustainable living, economic justice, and preservation of the quirky nooks and crannies that make living people so much more than our algorithmically derived behavioral programs. This is where the conscious beats the automatic, an intervention by people on behalf of people. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human, coming to you alive. From God's Love We Deliver, the headquarters of the inspiring charity in an otherwise too expensive for actual human residence island of Manhattan in New York City. Playing for Team Human today, actress, movie star, visionary of the human-centered future, and perhaps most importantly, Gracie the Wonder Dog's human partner, my friend Parker Posey. Parker will be sharing what it's like to play a supposedly evil character like Dr. Smith on Netflix series Lost in Space, as well as some of the experiences, insight, and love of life that went into her definitively fabulous new book, You're on an Airplane. It's time to intervene on behalf of people. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you're on Team Human. I'm excited to have a real live actress on Team Human. I was, dare I say it, I was a theater person. I was dedicated. It was it. I thought I was going to be like the next George Bernard Shaw, both doctor and uh, theatrician. You know, he was a, a doctor. So was Chekhov, actually. They, because the operating theater and all, and they understood. And I felt like what they understood was that theater and medicine are both looking at what does it mean to be alive? That's what doctors really wonder. What's the difference between live flesh and dead flesh? We still don't really know, except live flesh sort of keeps itself going. Same with theater. I mean, dead theater, when it's, when it's alive, it has this life of its own, and we don't know what it is, but you can be backstage, and you see them in the audience, and that thing happening, and you know, oh my gosh, what is that? What is that thing? It's so mysterious. I had it the first time my parents took me when I was five years old, Zero Mustel, Fiddler on the Roof. Amazing. And he talks right to the audience, too. So the first play I ever went to, Tevi is just talking right at us. I'm like, what is this? Why doesn't the audience talk back? What is this agreement? What's going on? Why do they stay in the seats? It was, it was amazing. And, and I did theater, 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 right until I was around 33. And I went to, to CalArts and AFI and did all. And uh, what they kept teaching us about theater was this Ar Aristotelian narrative arc. You know, crisis, climax, sleep, this sort of, you know, male mating cycle of 
drama where you you create this character the audience likes character makes a series of decisions that they get into danger until they can't take it anymore then the playwright throws in a duke six machina a solution something a new gun a new medicine a new life skill or ethos and then yay we get a reversal recognition and relief and that arc serving that arc started to feel unnecessary and abusive and stupid, um, particularly when every 30-second commercial on television uses the same damn arc. Right, The girl, oh, she's excited because she's going to go to the prom, and she looks in the mirror, and oh, no, there's a zit. So now we're starting up the inclined plane of anxiety. So first she tries to pop it. No, no, it makes it worse. And then she puts on the bad cream and it gets all infected. And so finally, at the top of the arc, right, uh, Oxy-5 or Clarisil, and she puts it on and the psychedelic colors go through her body. And then ding-dong, prom time, you know, crisis, climax, sleep. And it was applied, this same arc, to everything in our society, from capitalism to socialism to religion. It was always this sort of ends justifies the means, let's march up the hill and get through this awful thing, and then you'll get your, uh, you'll get your reward. And it justifies people doing the most awful things to each other and to the planet and to their partners and just to get to that, to that ending. And just as I was so sick of that, along came the net the internet and I thought here's gonna be different this is this is like yeah like theater except never-ending it was hypertext this goes to that goes to that like a fantasy role-playing game constantly reinventing itself you could just move anywhere instead of this kind of read-only universe of television where we have to just sit and watch it now we were moving into a read-write universe of programming and open source and we were gonna build a new reality a story that has no ending, an infinite game for an infinitely sustainable humanity. But our capitalist exploitative brothers and sisters just can't tolerate that kind of open-endedness, can they? And they let the net become a new story. Another story, the Silicon Valley dream of the unicorn. Right? You invest a little bit of money, and then it grows, and then you get another round of investors and another round of investors, and right before you release, you do your exit strategy, and it doesn't matter if the company fails then because you've got all the money of the other people down the pyramid. And venture capitalists ended up restoring this Aristotelian arc to the digital, and our technologies became really instruments of reinforcement. And if you play it right... There's even an ending. You get the big payoff. You get billions of dollars or a rocket to Mars or an afterlife on a silicon chip. As long as you're willing to get kids addicted to followers and likes and streaks and the rest of us to ignore the slavery, the resource depletion, the pollution. But heck, it's entertainment. Just look here in the little screen, right? It's shinier and brighter and even sexier than real life. But it's not, as most of us know, most of us on Team Human anyway, this stuff is not actually more alive and sweet and, and intimate than real life. It might be high def, but it's not high life. You know, however high def your, your Skype video gets, you still can't see whether their pupils are contracting or dilating. You can't tell if they're in rapport with you or not. Your, your mirror neurons will never fire. The oxytocin never comes out, and you don't blame the technology. You blame the other person. So you get less social, and then you watch more video on this thing instead of connecting to people. You know, that's what brought me back to the human. That's what made me want to do Team Human. You know, both for the fidelity of real, live, person-to-person, eye-to-eye interaction, but also for the weird, just the weird and unpredictable. Before the Facebook algorithms smooth out your weirdness and get you to behave predictably according to your statistically uh, 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 digested uh, uh, algorithmic profile, to be weird, to sustain the strange, not to rush to the conclusion, to the click, to the next screen. And that's still in theater, if you do it right. It's what I'm aiming for in Team Human also. Not answers, but more questions, more openings, pattern recognition and awe. That's what these conversations are about. You know, humans are not really living in closed-ended stories. Maybe on an individual level we each die, but the human story, this is open-ended. We are living in real time and we are making this thing up as we go along. 
and this quality of anything can happen. I have all the time in the world. Life is not scripted, characterizes the work, the craft, the art, and the genius of our guest today. So please take a look. I've been thinking of ice cream and stuff and what I can do with it. Maybe come up with, we have a blizzard and we have a breeze. We have derbies and the derbies are really old. They've been doing derbies and the chocolate dip for I think 20 years or something. I really want to sort of make a healthy, low-fat or non-fat, um, healthy blizzard. Playing for Team Human tonight, celebrating the launch of her first book, You're on an Airplane, Friend to All Living Beings, Parker Posey. Thank you, Doug. Hello. Here we are. Thank you. That was so sweet. And you're so smart. And I love your ideas and, and what you have to say. And I totally agree. Doug and I met like over 20 years ago. And then I start talking about a non-fat blizzard. And <laughs> um, it's still a really good idea. Um, and as you saw, it became a big deal. you know. And I have lots of ideas like that. Back to what you were saying, I was watching that and what you're talking about. My, I have a friend who's a Jungian analyst, and he said that, that Carl Jung says we're either living in the spirit of the time or the spirit of the depths. And the spirit of the depths is poetry, art, things that have no time, things that, you know, and when, when Libby May was talking up there on the screen, that's what makes it funny is you see, you know it's not what she's saying, it's the life that you see where she, she's back at, at the Dairy Queen. You get a glimpse into her experience and in, in her life there. And before we shot that scene, Chris came up to me and um, you know he's just such a great director in person and he's very compassionate and warm and he's just brilliant. Um, but he came up to me and he said, what if Libby, um, she could have like a little blues. I was like, yeah, you know, she, she could. And she's, she's had it tough, you know, but just that, you know, I, I'm giving you, I mean, we were both thinking the same thing. And of course we, we talked about this character, but just that empathy, you know, and that, um, and of course that the way of working on those movies is so full and rich and, and, they're so, and then they're cut for jokes, but I would love to see like a four-hour version mm. of Waiting for Guffman. And the movie was 80 hours. <sighs> and when I went to, <laughs> they had to whittle it down to comedy time, which is like an hour and seven minutes or something. There's like, right. you, we lose the attention after a certain amount of time. Oh, it's one of, like one of those Paul, Paul McCarthy uh, epic yeah, yeah, or Frederick Weissman, yeah. or like, you know, like the Maisel Brothers. I loved Grey Gardens. I could watch that over and over again. But anyway, so I, he was editing in London and for months, for like eight months, and just like, ugh. And Karen Murphy, the producer, said, you have to tell Chris not to cut himself out of the film. The first cut of the movie, he's barely in it. Like, he had watched it so, he got tired of himself. This isn't funny anymore. <laughs> But then he had to come back around and recreate it. The reason why I wanted to show that clip, and I mean this in, in, in a nice way, you, you seem like an untrained actor. And I know... Oh, but I have trained, darling. I know, darling. I know. You oh, went, I have been just, on the stage since well, you I did, was I know, and did SUNY, you did SUNY Purchase, you did... You did I went to NCSA. Right, you did Academy-style training, and at the same time, you're able to somehow strip all that off and then just be. I mean, so what, what, what is that? I mean, I was, I was trying to think, how do you, basically, how do you strip away technique to get to just be again? I think it's, a, I had really good teachers, you know, that taught like the Sanford Meisner technique and, and how to be in the moment. I mean, those games are really fun. Did you ever mm. do those games? So you notice something about someone and you just say from, you know, I love your hair. And you say, I love your I hair. I love your turban. 
No, you have to say oh, exactly I what I hair. said. <laughs> and you play, you mimic, you don't mimic, you listen to the other right. person and you say exactly what you heard. And then the next part of the exercise, the person changes, like, you like my hair. And I say, I like your hair. You like my hair. I like your hair. And then you say, why? 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 And you, you're forced to be in this, in this space with the other. Well, of course, in drama school, it, those exercises ended with people breaking chairs right. and screaming. Right. And then they're like, that's acting. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I figured out I needed to get upset in order to get a good grade. But, um, and not be on, I'm serious about that. Um, but uh, it's, uh, and then this is a funny story. Since I'm in my Maven years, I've written a book. I'll be 50 next year. I'm somewhat, I shouldn't have said that. My friend Vince, <laughs> the audience, just gasped. I don't care. I don't care. Shut up. Um, I, uh, when, I was, <laughs> when I was a little girl, um, <laughs> I was, I think I was 13, four, no, I was 14, and an, uh, an acting teacher in North Carolina School of the Arts, which is a great conservatory program school. I went there for summer programs. And he gave me uh, Mary Tyrone from Long Day's Journey and Tonight, the 80-something-year-old um, heroin, morphine-addicted <laughs> monologue to do. And, <laughs> and um, I worked on it, you know, Norman, the fog, the fog, Norman. And um, halfway through the monologue, I forgot my lines, and I burst into tears. And I was like, I just, I'm so sorry. I, I really, this, I, I forgot everything. And, and, I, and, I started, and I started talking about how much I loved the school and how happy I was to be there. And um, other, the people that I'd met and, and then other people started crying. <laughs> and he said, that's, that's it. You don't need to know anything other, that's, that's acting too. That's like, so I think it's about truth and honesty, but also playing with, with words and with uh, your interpretations of material. And then these great teachers who teach you like Chekhov and mm. Shaw and, and you know, that, that time of theater that you were speaking of before then, yeah, I could totally see, see you in that. Of the, you know, the or the theater of the absurd, you know, and those, the the theater was a real community, mm. and they wanted to change and show people how they, you know, it felt like a force, you right. know, it, and it was an agent of of change, right? And it can be again, I think, you know, it just. I think podcasts are really <sighs> bringing a lot of intimacy to listeners. Yeah, I've done a few now. This is like my third one this week, and. Um, I saw you yawning. There are more podcasts. In it America will put you people. to sleep, but that's a good thing. It helps you relax and okay. But but just to the, I don't want to make this all about acting. But, all about me. But no, all about acting. But because you're you're more than 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 acting technique. But in a clip like that, the thing the thing that I wonder because I watch it. You know, I was going to play it again, but I'll I'll spare I'm you the you didn't play it, I spare you the repeat. But in it, you know, when she's thinking about. What, the drink that she wants to make, her idea, and then her eyes look off to the left for a while, and you just stay there, stay there, stay there, stay there, patiently, whatever, you don't care, you, and then come back with, a, with a, whatever the uh -huh. name of the thing. Is that something that happens sort of from the inside out, and then you're just looking and you're thinking, or is there a part of you that's looking at the character and thinking, where would her eyes move? And in yeah. other words, like, is there a, an Olivier kind of outside-in thing happening, or is it all sort of a method inside-out thing? That just it depends. With with that, there was no, uh, there's no outside-in. It was like, um, the you know, Chris as a director was so amazing at grounding you in in uh, in the reality of this was you know the movies are all improvised so thinking and, and creating this compassion and what Libby's life was like, it was, um, you know, full of these pauses because she's, she's left something really, you know, traumatic. Um, and Chris and I talked about the history and, and all of that. 
but the something like in Doctor Smith and Lost in Space, that feels more to me like theater, mm. and that's like the camera is you know the camera is there and you can move. So sometimes it feels like dancing, and but I like it's both. It's that it's the outside in how a person moves and how they express themselves, um, and all these like really fun exercises that maybe we can go on the on the road when I tour. You're on an airplane. Yeah. You could be my partner. And we can do some... I mean, Doug and I have talked about new media ideas in, in the past, and one of them, I'll remind yeah, you, yeah. I was like, oh, a podcast. Why can't we be in pods with fishing poles? <laughs> Pod? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, like we're fishing, and like the pods would be turned away, and we'd have fishing rod <laughs> and like I don't know you swimming cast, pools on the you side cast at you're the beginning casting and then you pod <laughs> you'd be cast pods really uh-huh uh-huh I think it's anyway, a winner I don't I don't get a I don't uh, someone's asleep here someone <laughs> hates me um but yeah it is that kind of you know outside in thing so here we are you know here we are on team human and you as an actor observe humans all the time. I mean, that's really what your job is, is to figure out what... And New York is the best place for that. I saw a woman holding a, her iPhone up to herself with a white chocolate almond-crusted ice cream bar. And it was the most absurd thing. Like, it was... Like, she was like this with, like, the ice cream bar, and she's taking a picture of herself. I was like, what are you doing? Like... <laughs> First of all, we can see you. We're this is New York, and there are people around. First of all, and a traffic at you know like Sixth Avenue. She's just like with this yeah ice cream and bar in front of her. I that makes my day. Something like that makes my day. <laughs> you know, I'm just like yeah. People are in their own worlds, in their own fantasy. That can be encouraging, but it can also be. Um, a scary thing, or yeah, but for however scary or weird or or contemptible even a person might <laughs> be, and you've played the gamut. Um, you seem to be able to bring empathy to it. So I love that the yeah. woman who's doing um, Jackie O, you know, uh, in uh, uh, the House of Yes, House right. of Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was just rewatching that, and it's like, oh my god, she's so awful, but we love yeah, her the yeah. whole time. So I, it, you have to be able to have empathy for. Everybody. Yeah, then and when you're playing a villain, I think of, you know, the classic like definition. You ha you love them and you fear them. You know, it's that kind of um, creating someone a character that you're afraid of, but that you want to be around because you're kind of compelled by them. And Jackie O is like that. Doctor Smith is like that. But then there's but the there are not a lot of women right. parts that are written like that. that. Yeah. But you get them. I think that's... <laughs> yeah. But I've gotten a few, yeah. and I really like them. I really like them. Well, then, of course, you got cast, and it was for me, it was so weird um, when you got cast in a Woody Allen movie mm -hmm. for the first time, because it's almost like... It's it like joining the four. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that too. But I was thinking it's like joining the Marvel Universe or something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like you're part of this pantheon of characters mm -hmm. now. It's like now you're... You're in the same universe as Hannah and her sisters, mm -hmm. you know? And I felt like almost like you're getting cast in these kind of uh, Diane Weiss-like roles in yeah. some ways. Like I love how he writes women, you know? And um, I met him for Shadows and Fog and, and Bullets Over Broadway in the, in the 90s. But then that, you know, the way of making movies changed. So you had to cast A-list movie stars in order to get your films financed. And that, Woody Allen used to just be a New York film, you know, auteur, and he could cast people who were doing plays, and and it just felt more New York-centric. Yeah, I love how he writes women and, and, and how how clear his, his writing is. It's really, I mean, he's a great director. Well, the thing, I mean, and you said it in, in, in another interview I saw, that uh, when you did uh, Irrational Man, he only gave you the 20 pages that you're on. That's right. It's like right. a weird Tams Whitmark musical, like where you get your side. So you didn't know the movie. You knew... You yeah you know you. only your part, and so you don't know if it's a if it's a light comedy if it's a dark film, your relationships with other characters what the other characters say about you, so you get to really be in your own world right and you do kind of have a detective hat on a little bit 
But it also would, it prevents you from doing that thing that I was talking about that I so dislike about theater. It prevents you from playing, where's your place in the arc of the story? You're not thinking about that. Mm -hmm. You're just in your scene. That's right. Yeah. And in the unknown, which is where all the fun stuff happens, you know? That's what that magic is that you were talking about in the theater is like, and it's a thing, it's like the improvised movies too, like... They're flying by the seat of their pants, you know. Nothing's calculated, and that you you can feel that you can you can feel when um, certain performers are are in that zone, and then sometimes people are just good at telling jokes, you know. I, w- I want to do one more thing. Before I'm getting we, yeah, I'm getting be- tired of myself. No, before we no, you're not. Um, before we it's before true. we move from the from movies to books. So so finally we we get to Lost in Space, which yes, you're doing yes, now, yes, yes. and then Lost in Space, you're getting to do. Things that you wouldn't normally you you get to do a, a last poor Yorick scene. I mean, she's got the head of a. I mean, I'm not showing that. She's got the head of a of an android that she's going to put back together, a robot, and it's you you get a soliloquy yes, with this yes. thing. You you you're in a cave with a with. A, I guess he's there's a guy in there, but yes. you're getting to just and I assume like stage these these things. But the 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 scene that that blew me away was from the the very. It's sort of the earliest thing we know about her. It's the beginning of episode four. So you're going to have to get to episode four, Netflix, Lost in Space. I'm going to take a look at this at this scene for a second. You didn't have to hit. I know. I just thought, since you were leaving, is it wrong to want to say goodbye to my sister? You know I'd bring you if I could. It's not ruining things with a bunch of lies, Jess. I'm just trying to to apologize. Why would I apologize for being a productive member of society? Oh, there's a girl I know. I'm just saying at some point you have to take responsibility for your choices. Coming from someone who's never had to make any. That's not fair. Your college wasn't paid for. Dad didn't leave you the business. What, and he should have left it to you? You're a criminal, June. I've made mistakes. And I'm glad you recognize that. But they don't want mistakes in the new world. Well, thanks for the meal. Have a nice flight. Wait. I didn't ask you here to fight. I just, I just wanted to give you these. My house, my car. I'm not gonna need them anymore, so. I don't deserve this. No. Start fresh. Be a better version of yourself. I could live here. Yes. I could drive your car. Wear your clothes, if you'd like. So I could just... Just be you. That was so much fun. So much fun to do, uh, to play someone like that. So much fun. And that one scene runs the gamut. I mean, you, you see the number of choices that are made and, and, and fully committed to in there. I mean, from, from, I mean, there's so much until you finally get to the moment, which is the, the, the beautiful moment in that, in that scene when the sister realizes she's been poisoned. Yeah. And there's this tiniest micro nod of, no, yeah, honey. Yeah, yeah. It, it happened. I, <laughs> I put that pill in your drink. So go to sleep. And the thing about Dr. Smith, what, which is fun about playing in, in that role, is that she gets to create. She escapes the planet. She can start over. It was. It's been brutal for the last thirty years. And what does the psychology of the person who's been able to survive that? look like and she's truly survived by her wits right but she also gets a wish to live with the robinson family so she like goes in and out of this like oh i get to be a part of a family and and a family that i didn't have and i think i think we're going to see just what kind of family she came from in season two which i'm really looking forward to no it's i mean the 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 character in that scene it's played with this sort of less is more 
really, in other words, she's not an arch, she's not an arch villain. She's she's a manipulator, and she doesn't know when she's manipulating, too, because she's that much of a con artist. That it's instinctual. And that's yeah. the original Dr. Smith mm-hmm. was a was a con artist and a and a Russian spy and a really dark person. So I hope she's really a physicist and can knows everything about that robot. <laughs> and I loved acting with the robot, it was really fun. Getting to act with something that isn't, you know, talking to you and bringing that to life is really fun. Well, it makes me think of uh, uh, Will Robinson on the uh, original show. I mean, and as, a, as a latchkey kid coming home and watching Lost in Space every day yeah. at 3 o'clock on Channel 5, um, <laughs> uh, I felt that, that the robot was to Will Robinson like the TV was to me. This yeah. box that talked yeah. and kept me company. And Yeah, when I remember when I told you that, you told, yeah, that was the first show that had the television as a robot and that intimacy to, you know, it's like another portal to, to you know, and it, yeah, that show did it. That show did it. And it's weird though. So now, I mean, and, and, and Jonathan Harris is Dr. Smith. He's an icon from our youth, you know? He's, yeah. Yeah. For, in, it, for real. I mean, not as a, not as a tiny thing. It was a big thing to but us. But that was the other thing. Like I, I loved him like as a child and I would, as a five and six year old, I write about it in my book. Um, um, <laughs> That's the next half of this interview. It, um, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. Um, the TV was, uh, I'd watch the color, the static of the TV turn to color mm-hmm. bars at like 5.45 on a Sunday morning. That's when the reruns would come on on Sunday. And I would wake myself up. That's how much I loved the show, to, to watch it. And uh, my twin brother was upstairs, and sometimes he'd come down. But mainly, it was like the show was mine. Like I, is doing the show and asking people, what fans of the show, why do you feel, why do you love it? You know, and I think it is something about feeling kind of alien from your family, or feeling like the black sheep or the white sheep, or you know, um, feeling different. Uh, but I. I I loved it. I loved Even it. in the cast role, it's like that. And the Parker music. Doctor Smith. You know, oh, it's the. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's that. A nod that, back to that. That yeah. Coda character yeah. who's like, there's all these characters in this ensemble, and then. Yeah. There's Doctor yeah, yeah, Smith. Yeah. And Kevin Burns, the um, who has the Renalin estate, he gave me a kerchief, an ascot from Jonathan Harris, <gasps> that may appear in the second season, because hmm. you know Doctor Smith has. She has nothing. She has no clothes. You won't see a wardrobe change, if I can help it. Just like some burnt scarf from the wreckage. Let me remind our listeners, you're on Team Human, coming to you alive from God's Love We Deliver in New York City. Our guest today, actress and author of the new book, Memoir, An Experiential Narrative, You're on an Airplane, Parker Posey. So let's talk about the book. The book, for me, at, at, uh, two paragraphs in, and I realized, oh my God, this is like a fan's dream. Because the whole thing is as if we're sitting on an airplane next to you as you recount. That's right, yeah. I had to do something else. I wasn't getting parts that were satisfying and creatively, nor were they paying anything. And so I had to write my own material. I didn't mm. know what that would be. And then once it started to be a book, I just kind of, I mean, closed the blinds, the curtains, the earplugs, just got inside of it. And then it was, because um, I've been upset about what's happened to the culture and from reality TV stars and to, you know, all, all the stuff that everyone is, is sick of. So how can I participate? Can I create a new form? So for me, it's like, okay, storytelling, communicating, monologue writing and maybe I'll write something and I'll take the book on the road and people could be me and I could play their acting teacher <laughs> and I could get them to to like feel like kind of what it is what the what it is to act and see what that happens because I would lo- I would love that I would love to um be able to you know create that and I may travel around there there are recipes in the book I have a a cocktail called the fireball cocktail named after my grandmother Nani um it's a Manhattan with a fireball thrown in and 
she put sweet and low in her Zinfandel, um, and she would say, I can't stand the bitterness. And each time she said it, I would give her a different reaction, as if she had said it for the first time, because it was something that she would say a lot. Anyway. <laughs> but that's almost like, like it's, that's training for film. It's like another take. She oh, said yeah. the same line. I mean, she doesn't know she's doing it again, maybe. But but you're coming yeah. up with new, what can I do this time? This is what a, a Southern Gothic entertainment, like how people self-dramatize down there. It's very Russian. It's like a checkoff thing. You're aware, you dramatize, you share, you have these moments. And then everyone in your family is going like, well, there she is. Telling us her whole thing. Well, then you, you her whole drama, Masha. Masha can't shut up. Well, and then you talk about. I mean, another you, dark mood, and she just keeps talking. You know, it's like a similar. Well, then you talk about your grandfather too, who was who was famous for shooting someone on his land, and then uh, that's Papa's dad. Right. Um, yeah, my great grandfather shot someone um, on his property, which you did back then. And um, they took him to court. And uh, instead of like being like, yeah, I shot, you know, I shot him and I'm sorry about that. Because someone else like <laughs> ran in there or something as the story goes. And like he even shot more. And then he said in, in the courtroom, he said, and if, it, and if he did it again, I'd shoot him here right now. <laughs> like something like that. And just like left, you know, high on the waves of drama and just like, wow, drama. Well, I mean, speaking of drama, though, the, the, this thing is set up. I mean, it's not written like a like a play, but it's written like a play. I mean, there's business. There's atmosphere. That's right. There's like a set. So like when you read something as an actor, you create your surroundings, right? So you, you're not just like reading the words and memorizing them, but... That's why you the actors choose. always say, give me something to do. Give me That's a, right. You I can make walk a drink over or, to yeah. there and pick something up. Or you can, um, you know, Spencer Tracy, um, I'm sure a lot of you have heard this story, but he would look at his mark on set all the time. He'd, he'd be in a scene and he'd look at the mark that, you know, the tape mark where he had to stand and, and he'd look up and he'd just say his line to Catherine Hepburn. It's just that, you know, having your... David Lynch calls it wind. So, like, when uh, Justin Thoreau was working with him on Mulholland Drive, I was like, what was it like working with him? And he'd say, it's just more wind. Let's have more wind. <laughs> so we know, we know how to perform this. We understand, oh, now she's putting a turban She's wrapping a turban on the passenger next to her right. on the plane as she talks. Mm -hmm. So you've said you've given her this is what you're doing as you do this monologue, and it's a Norma Desmond like monologue right. about uh, how, how screens shrink. The, the yeah, shrinking like of I would love your daughter to you know memorize it and work on it, and then we would do you know an acting lesson just for be sweet. Yeah, but then philosophically, it feels like the reason why. This happens now. If, if Norma Desmond and Sunset Boulevard and her talking about how the big screen has shrunk. Has yeah, shrunk. And, yeah. Now, 75 years later, the screen shrunk again. Yeah. <laughs> it's down to and, a... and Yeah, and we're in a new time. We're in a new time zone. And so the little screen is like, people watch these movies that are edited really quickly and they have no story. And it seems that audiences are bored with the movies, the business of movies, if they even have something that you can't figure out beforehand. And then you see comedies where people deliver a joke, and you know that it's gonna be funny by the time they open their mouth. You have, that things are spelled out for you, and it's gone so far from, you know, the character uh, moving the story along um, based on instincts and desires and things like that. Um, so, and, but, it can, you know, turn around into into theater and into things like this because I think there's a real desire for it. Well, and it happens. I mean, there's the occasional 
movie that you're in or David Lynch's, uh, you know, the Twin Peaks series was right. just crazy wonderful. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. sweep the floor. It was like an acting class or something. Mm-hmm. So, oh my God, he's actually going to make us sit here and watch this for five minutes. Yeah. And it seems so the opposite of, I mean, of, of the kind of social media instant gratification world that we're in, that he's saying, look somewhere else for what's happening here. Right. You know, so you don't have social media at all, right? I got up the courage to join it, I think, two years ago at this, and there was this company because it was, you know, it's a screen to me and it's upstaged narrative storytelling and all these things that I loved it. But I know I had to participate in it somehow. I just didn't know. I really didn't know how. And I'm such a Luddite. I think I'll press something and detonate a bomb or something. Like, I'm not... You'll break the net. I'll, something bad will happen. <laughs> or I'll, uh, which happened when I was writing. Like I pressed something and erased a whole, um, you know, I, I possessed my computer and it was a horrible, I deleted things and I, it went crazy. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel strange at what's happened to the personalities of, of some of my friends who seem to have a social media personality or like oh you know how are you doing it's like I'm uh, Gracie Gracie's developed dementia she's had an operation she had surgery on she had four stones in her bladder and they say she looked great on Instagram (laughs) these are people I love and care about she looked great on Instagram what well we haven't talked in a few weeks but it's been really tough I'm you know Wow, she looked great on Instagram. I mean, this is like Stepford Wife stuff, you know? This is like all the stuff that I know you loved, that I love too. In high school, The Brave New Worlds, the 1984s, you know, that show The Prisoner, Mm -hmm. you know, that black and white TV show, and the things that were just like, the future's weird. It's going to get even stranger. I just wanted to impress the geeks out there that are listening to the show. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you're here. You're here. We're, they're here. You're not a number. You're, you're not a number. You're a human being. You're a man. Um, but there is a lot of futurism in this in this book. I mean, you're you. I'm glad you think so. There is. I mean, you talk about how you know you were you were 20 years ago telling people that one day we're going to be holding we're going to be allowed to bring a dog on an airplane as a comfort animal. Yes, and 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 now. Now look at us. Now we are. Now there are uh, support ponies on board. I don't know <laughs> if you all have had the pleasure of looking at emotional support ponies on the internet. I have. They, there are ponies. They're little? Very little, I guess. Oh, they are this big, like three or four feet off the ground. And I started reading about them and um, of people who have them, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. They're hugging animals, and they're... Um, the ponies are coming to the, you know, the house and helping a woman out of her depression. I love that. Well, well, it's sad that she can't rely on her neighbor who's a human being, but it's really nice that there's a pony around willing to do the work that her neighbor should be doing. But I do feel like though we've been on, I mean, we express our futurism differently. I do it in these sort of serious nonfiction You're books. You're smart, but and you I'm say, an idiot. No, no, but but like, well, I'm sitting writing Present Shock and talking about, oh my gosh, we've got you know this pace of modern life and digital onslaught. You're pitching slow TV. Right? Yes, yes, that's right. Which was, I mean, randomly the same idea. Except that's right. Actualized. You and were what- around during that time. I had this idea for slow TV. I do lots of uh, readings at selected shorts, and like I saw Leonard Nimoy read in Dreams Begin Responsibilities in the wings of the Getty Museum, and <laughs> I sobbed. I watched him in the wings. Thirty people were in the audience, and you know, I was like, why? Aren't we recording great actors reading great literature? Why isn't that like why isn't that happening? So I've done like a few selected shorts and I got chummy with them and um I know actors are starving. I think the culture is starved for stories and they connect us. And if we don't have them, we become cuckoo town like what we are right now well it's not just the story though but to me the idea that the actor will just take the time and we'll all take the time 
oh, you know, so, you know, Alec Baldwin's going to read Gravity's Rainbow, you know, <laughs> which I would go to. Yes. And it's going to take 74 hours, and yeah. we're just going to do it. this idea that we could just But you be... film him reading right. uh, in, in audio, and then you, it's a, this, you know, it's all landscape that you mm-hmm. have in your living room. He doesn't even have to show up. Right. But what's on the screen are like, you know, colors and, and rainbows or EDMR. What are those like, those therapies that you yeah. look at that like EMDR, calm you down? Yeah. And then you, you have that in hospitals. You have that in dentist offices. You, you create schools. like, yeah, you create material. <laughs> when, is that a good idea? Is it, no. it is. You're like, I'm, you're crazy. Yeah. Thank I mean, you, Lamont. Part of, what I, part of what I got from you're on an airplane, which it felt like that, you you came came to the conclusion that it took me like ten books to come to the idea that that part of what makes human life sacred is our right to just be our right to not even I mean for most of us it's that we have to have utility value in order to justify ourselves to the market it's like what do you do oh you got to go to school so that you can get a job as if school is about getting a skill to get a job which school was never supposed to be about skills to get a job school is about becoming uh, a person, not a worker. And and you this paragraph, near the end of the book, you say, do you think that in another time people enjoyed each other more, maybe thought about death as more impending than we do now, that they realized that so much of everything is a distraction or a conspiracy to keep us separate or guarded and locked up inside? Collectively, without realizing, we've let slack a present awareness. Okay. Yeah, and you know, I was in I was in Vancouver and I loved being out. It was really ni- a nice break to be out of the country and out of the static of of what's happening here. But it's people like Doug who are creating a space for thoughtful conversations. And and I've, it's been really nice talking to you. Mm. Well, I want to uh, open this up so it's not just talking to me, but talking to the rest of Team Human here. Um, do I, I want to open? I had up. that internal clock. Yeah. I had that. Clock. I know. I it's knew. perfect. It was around fifty minutes. It was around analysis yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Train. Time. Oh, right. Therapy. Therapy time. Forty-seven point five yeah. minutes. Right. For two hundred twenty-five <laughs> or thirty-eight dollars of of reimbursement. Um, <laughs> Candy. Uh, any thoughts? Questions? Concerns, comments, sir. A couple of years ago, we were in uh, listening to David Amram playing music, and there was a man that had been in the Sopranos who was the uh, restaurant owner, and he read the poems from Jack Kerouac on the road, and I never understood him before till he started reading them, and I I just opened my heart to it. It was marvelous, yes. a marvelous evening. That's so wonderful and, and, and well said. Um, yeah, that's what the, the art of acting can do, right? And the interpretation of, of, of material. Yeah, I love it. It makes, it makes me feel safe and connected. Well, and that's, actors used to be just readers, basically. I mean, at the beginning, yeah. they were people who could read and speak on a Greek stage and make, mm-hmm. make the words come alive. You know, before it was just realistic people sitting in scenes and, you know. <laughs> and reality shows, right. Sir. Y- you had said earlier that you were a Luddite, and I, I think you touched on this a little bit before with regards to podcasting, but I'm wondering if there are any way, positive ways in which you feel technology is impacting storytelling. Are you an IT guy? I'm not. <laughs> God. I, I, I do work for TechCrunch, though, so... Tech crunch. <laughs> You're an IT guy. <laughs> Close. Um, well, yeah, the connectedness, right? Yes, of course. It is the World Wide Web. See how I knew that? <laughs> um, Yeah, people are going to connect however they want. What's, what's bad now, we all know it, is it's reactive and it's aggressive and mean. And the bullies have kind of taken over. And that, you know. But everything else is great. 
I mean, looking at pictures of, of animals and people feeding chipmunks and pl more, please. Baby you know. monkey riding backward on a pig. Have it's, you seen that one? Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, that, that's please. <laughs> more. Thoughts? All right. I guess I'm curious. Uh, you've talked about sort of the danger of the arc, uh, the Aristotelian or Freitagian arc or whatever you want to call it. And you've also talked about the danger of the more modern hyperlink scenario, which, which you know, threatens your, your uh, attention span. It threatens your ability to see connections. So I guess I'm curious, what, what narratively are you looking for as the next movement uh, for narrative? Is it surrealism? Is it poeticism? Is it romanticism? I guess I, I, I'm interested what you think the next event will be. I mean, I, I love the hypertext thing. I'm an old fantasy role-playing kind of guy. I love the idea of, of, of that. I mean, for me, I mean, and this is the theater project I want to do, so I'll pitch it to you. I, I, in many ways, I hate watching theater, but I love doing theater. And I started to think that the importance of theater for most people is not that they get to watch a play and see the choices that someone else made, but that they get to experience what is it to have a script of some people saying these words and decide what the heck is going on here. So I wanted to create these, these scenes. I was gonna call it set and setting. And I'll create a scene that'll say like, worker and boss. And there's all these worker lines and all these boss lines. Mm -hmm. You send it out to 6,000 community theaters around the country and they look at it, worker and boss. Well, what is this? Is it someone? Is it a kid in a Walmart and an associate manager? Is it is it Abraham and one of his slaves in the Bible? Is it a stockbroker and the algorithm giving him his orders? You figure out the scene. Where is it? What is it? What happened? Then you turn the page and you have the same exact scene, only now the lines are reversed. And now you have to figure out why would a worker have those lines and the boss have these lines and figure out another place, another set and setting, just to have give people not the experience of coming to the definitive main stage production at Lincoln Center of this play, but rather to give everybody the opportunity to do this, uh, this interpretation, this, this figuring it out. That's so great. Wow. That's a, that's a great idea. Make it simple. I mean, sort of what you're trying to do here, too, is like, let me just give people scenes because you see the, the, the beauty and value of figuring it out. And of just giving, giving an idea, a, you know, a, a, a sense of play. I mean, that's kind of what, where we're at now. And we're, we're, you know, it's a paranoid culture afraid right. to play. And how do you write? And how do you break that? So, exactly. So there is no definitive interpretation of reality. We're all figuring it out. You know, and that's sort of, I, I'm into collaborative narrative, I guess, would be the, the one I'm, I'm moving towards. Hi. So what makes me, I start thinking about what you were just talking about. And in terms of human, what we're talking about is what makes us human is really our emotion, right? So if you're talking about theater and acting, that's what we start to tap into. If we get into technology, what you start to get into is a limited frame of emotion of anger and awe, particularly when you get into social media. So how do we tap into a broader spectrum of emotion, which gets us into a broader idea of what is team human? She's smart. Yeah. No, it is true. Yeah. Wow. She's Dr. Einstein, yes. Uh, Dr. Mara Einstein, whose great book, Black Ops Advertising, everyone should read. Uh, oh, you didn't just make that up. You're, that no, wasn't, yeah. She okay. really is. Wow. Um, it is I feel like the, the, the internet wouldn't, doesn't have to be optimized for awe and sensational, or for, for sensationalism and, and, and horror. You know, I think it could be optimized for awe. You know, um, and that's just a matter of what we decide to do. I mean, maybe they don't, they don't make as much money on awe because people, when they're in awe, they go, <gasps> you know, and that's a live human state of wonder. And that's much harder to exploit than a nice little cynical, angry person. That's right. She has a question. Um, so I have a question. One, I'm originally from the South 
Appalachia, you know, all of this. Wow. And, uh, and I am now a digital artist and it has been like time and space travel for me, you know. And um, I'm really interested in storytelling with the technologies we have uh, to use today. And, and I've been really inspired by both of what, by what you've both been saying. And I wonder, have either of you pondered or maybe I'm, you know, um, asserting that maybe you should. What about taking these stories into VR mixed reality spaces? What would that be like? You know, because I think there's a dearth of good storytelling right now. And what we need is because, uh, you know, uh, the, the philosopher who was talking about uh, super intelligences, Nick Bostrom, you know, he said, we're not going to stop this. So if we're not going to stop this, how are we going to insert these really important narratives and, 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 and maintain that tradition of storytelling that is so essential to humanity? No, absolutely. I mean, that's why I like to think of the digital thing not as a revolution, but as a renaissance. Revolution turns everything over. A renaissance is a rebirth of old forms in a new context. So the opportunity of the digital age is to find these oldest forms, to retrieve them back, and then say, well, what is, you know, what is Aeschylus in augmented reality? You know, what, and what is that? And that's the opportunity, then to see all this old stuff in this new, in this new frame. I would love to work in, in, in yeah. So Take those it. meetings. So we'll, Take cards. we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. meet after this. For Lost in Space, I was like, where's the other Lost in Space, the ambient Lost in Space? Can we, these sets are amazing. Can we shoot, you know, Will Robinson in space, have this, you know, some of these amazing, amb you know, ambient music bands to have just this background stuff for people to look and see. And to feel space inside. You look at space, you feel space inside. You start to breathe in your little Will Robinson. I would love a kid to see that and to imitate that in their home. You know? I mean, VR, I, I've never done it, but I've, it's been coming up in conversations around me for, the, for a while now, but, in, but especially in the past the past week so i'm really gonna yeah get in touch yeah. with you yeah no and it's true and I, I always think people are always concerned oh well how could we do lost in space in vr because then there's a story in the plot i don't care about the story take everyone off just let me walk around the sets exactly. in vr exactly exactly yeah exactly because we were i mean i'm a grown woman and i got on the spacecraft set and i was like paging doctor <laughs> you know like the play is crashing it's crashing we're going down <laughs> you know, and doing just like having, having fun. And Molly McCarthy would be like reading all that stuff, pressing all those buttons and looking so smart. I'd be like, wow, that's so cool. I'm a grown up. Like it's, there's that part in all of us and getting in touch with that um, kid energy is something, yeah, that people could, it could be, yeah, create that space and that joy and that, Yeah. Well, and, and uh, we actually got a wrap. But if you want to experience that joy, um, watch Lost in Space on Netflix, or more importantly, buy You're on an Airplane by Parker Posey, which is a world. This is a virtual reality. I mean, it's the first virtual reality is text, right? That's, that's the, the first one we know. And it's, it's, it's a, a beautiful, experiential memoir. Thank you, um, Thank you, Parker Posey, for playing on Team Human. You've restored my faith, not only in the theater and film, but in the awesome spectacle of a life lived fully, consciously, and in celebration of the characters that we're all playing, whether or not we know it. You can get Parker's fabulous book of fabulousness. You're on an airplane everywhere now. You can also find out more about Parker and the other 90-some-odd people who've appeared on Team Human by going to teamhuman.fm. Click on support if you want to join the team, support the show, get access to premium content, and the ability to ask questions and cool stuff like sign Team Human books and trading cards now. Thanks again to everyone at God's Love We Deliver for opening this space to us. You can support their work delivering meals to the seriously ill by going to glwd.org. Thanks to Luke Robert Mason and Josh Chapdelin for manning the controls tonight, Chrissy Basham for setting up the space, Kervin Mora for plugging us in, David Ludwigson for making this for us, and Catherine too. Thank you. 
thanks to all of you for coming and celebrating Parker Posey's book launch. Team Human is produced by Stephen Bartolome. I'm Douglas Rushkoff. You're on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.